If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Skids off to Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up in the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. Podcast is back. JJ, Lara, I'm Matt Taylor. Good to be with you on a Tuesday as we tape this heading into week six of the NFL regular season. Guys, you look refreshed. More refreshed than you did at 5 a.m. on Friday morning of last week. How are we doing today? I don't know if I'm feeling refreshed because I've been up since 4.30. No? Yeah. My kid, my kid had a bad dream, so I've been up since 4.30. I'm not refreshed today. <laughs> oh, was, the, was the bad dream he had the game from Thursday night? Was, was he, he dreaming about did he, did he, third yeah. downs and <laughs> he just, sacks? He did, he did start telling everyone on Friday, though, that the Colts beat the Yucky Broncos. I like at, it. At, oh, sco- at his daycare. Where to get that from? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Couldn't be me. Is that, is that grandma or grandpa? No, with that the, was... Uh, that that was from uh, my wife and I. Yeah, there decided we were going to call them the Yucky Broncos. No. Good deal. It I am refreshed. I am refreshed. I had a good relaxing weekend. Yeah. Unfortunately, you and I, Mate, had to watch the fourth quarter of the IU Michigan game. You know, we there saw the third the, quarter there too. Was there, I was going to say, you know, like it was the, it was like two and a half decent quarters, and then it was just all collapsing. No, it was more like it was more like one and a half good yeah, quarters. Yeah, yeah, they still missed a field goal there at the end of the second quarter, but yeah, we're not here to talk about uh, that second half. We are here to talk about the good second half for the Colts. This is the official Colts podcast brought to you by WinBet. A lot of stuff to get into, but as you said, Larry, your first, I think for all of us, our first long weekend off since training camp started, maybe Labor Day, but even that, you're dealing with roster moves and things like that. So, Larry, how was your weekend, your first, you know, real weekend since July? It was fantastic. I basically, like, I only left the house to get food, really. Like, I was at home. Um, I was trying to be very domestic. Uh, my husband was camping, so I had grand visions of I'm going to do all of these things, and he's going to be so happy when he gets home that I was that I took initiative because I am like this is not going to surprise you guys at all, but like I'm not the most domestic wife whatsoever. Like I like to cook, but I'm that is where my <laughs> you so yeah, like I I don't do a lot of the other things like I don't really like like I don't like decorating for holidays like it's just a nuisance you know and I I don't especially when you're going to take it down in what two weeks three weeks thank you and I don't like plant flowers or or do any of that like it's just really not in my repertoire like so anyway I I potted some mums out front and uh kind of tried to fortify our our entryway a little bit and then um yeah, do a few things in the house. Uh, Dan got home and he was like, wait, you've basically created more work for me because like I, I can start a lot of projects, but then there are things that I like needed help with. Like I wanted to like move my Peloton upstairs. Well, I can't do that by myself. So lo and behold, last night about 11 o'clock, Tucker's hauling the <laughs> Peloton up the stairs. So he's like, I appreciate the efforts that you that Timing you took, is everything, man. But like also at some point it just falls more on me. So, <laughs> you know, so the great thing is I'm I'm just going to go back to not doing anything, uh, you know, domestic until maybe 2023 after this. Yeah, that's what happens. That's Mm -hmm. what happens. I'm with you. That's how I feel about Christmas lights. 
You know, oh. we're always we're always being, or at least I'm always being pushed it's to put up Christmas lights. Too. It is almost that time. It's like it's so much work, and I don't have time for it. And we're just going to take them down in three weeks, right? Well, especially for you, where it's like this is like peak when you get into November. That is the you're in the thick of the season. Like it is your craziest time of year. I mean, yeah. maybe you get like bye week in there, but that's not what you want to be doing on your bye week. No. That's also like no. you don't want to be on your roof when it's 30 degrees outside. Right. So right. I get that. Completely right because we have a Monday night game after Thanksgiving. That weekend is jam packed. Like we are hosting our boys' birthday party and we're decorating for Christmas. That no, weekend. absolutely not. Yeah, no. Well, that's what we're doing. Oh no. That's, yeah, whew, that's a lot. That's it, a lot for a Saturday. Yeah, it's going right to be a lot there. of decorating, and then what's going to happen is the Christmas lights are going to stay up until I don't know the Super Bowl. <laughs> there you go. Just, I'll take them down. Yeah, they're playoff lights. Just change the bulbs, and then they're yeah, exactly. Yeah. And St. Patrick right. lights, yeah. right? And then yeah. the Easter Bunny comes, and yeah, exactly. I got and, neighbors like that. Come on, now I'm not throwing shade, but we got to we got to take the down. We got to take down the lights there. Hey, all right, coming up, we're loaded. As we said, we're going to discuss the 12 to nine win in overtime on Thursday. We're going to break down the areas that are still concerning for this team going into week six. Big time matchup against the Jaguars on Sunday. And guys, we're going to hand out some first quarter of the season superlatives. Remember back in the day, Lara, where you would get your your yearbook and it would say, most likely to have their own talk show, oh, Lara Overton. That's what we're going to do today. <laughs> yes. Best dressed, most school spirit, <laughs> biggest flirt, always those. Oh, right, right. I, got, I actually, uh, my senior year at Mizzou, uh, some of my friends, as a joke, started a campaign for me to win Biggest Flirt in the journalism school, and I was named that as my I senior superlative that. in college. I can see were that. You, were you quite No. You're quite the player. Not at all. The player. I'm gonna, I have some calls in Tacoma right now. <laughs> yeah. To I, was a pretty, I was a pretty okay. awkward college student. College student? <laughs> <laughs> I just walked right I mean, why did I softball that one in for you guys? Yeah. Wait a minute. College wasn't that was a long time wow. ago, brother. All right. Um Can hey, we talk about football. Before before we get in, we're gonna bust out a, a segment called Pen or Pencil, part of the podcast here. I'll explain that in more detail. But Larry, you were on the field. JJ, you were watching from the press box. I sort of get trapped in the, you know, I don't know what the right word is, you know, following the ball and, and the the sequence of the game and following the scoreboard, making sure I've got all the procedural stuff down during the game. But, Lara, watching that game, you know, six feet from the sidelines like you do, yeah. uh, J.J., you're in the press box. Ugliest game you've ever seen? Okay, like, I want to go worst, back to a couple Worst things. game just as a spectator back to a you've ever things. seen? I get in the car driving home on Friday morning at about 5.15, and I just keep hearing different replays of Mayte's calls on ESPN Radio. Like, national. Like, the overnights, they were playing, like, everything of Mayte's calls. He was freaking phenomenal on that game. You're, you're outstanding every week. But in particular, I had a number of people who were listening to Thursday night because they had been, you know, maybe out and about or people still haven't figured out, like, Amazon Prime. So they're, <laughs> what, the what the hell's they're, Prime? They're, they're tuning in. And uh, a girlfriend of mine, uh, actually my neighbor, was like, I was listening to you guys. It was such a great call. She's like, I was so invested. I stopped for gas, and I had it on my phone, and I walked into the gas station still listening to it, like, carrying the phone with me. So you were awesome. It is, in fact, not the ugliest game. I had to go back to another game that I was in much, clo- much too close proximity for. I do not think it was as ugly as the Monday night game in New Orleans, Mayte 2019. I think that well, one that was, was ugly in a different way. That was ugly in a different way, yeah. right? Because of the the results. And I mean, Drew Brees yeah. broke the record. Uh, what was that result? It was like a 62 to 7. Hot, hot. 
Well, it was thirty. It was thirty-four to seven. The final 30, score, I think. Thirty-four to seven. But he, br- like, but he, he broke the yeah, record for seven. highest completion percentage. Yeah. Uh, in a game. Yes. So thirty-four to seven. That was the ugliest game that I've been on the sidelines for. This one was was ugly, but it was it was in an intriguing way. And I heard the broadcast where L. Michael said. You know, after the fact, when I went back to listen, and he's like, "Has it ever? Have you, you know, Kirk? When it's like sometimes it's so bad that it's good." And Kirk's yeah. like, "No, no, no." no. <laughs> but I don't know. It was it was intriguing. It was interesting. It was wild. There was no so- no shortage of storylines from the field, Mate. We were deciphering different yeah. offensive line combinations. Sure. We were figuring out what was going on with Quiddy Pay, what was going on with Naheem Hines, what was going on with Ashton Doolin in different situations. Of course, I mean. Then you the rise of Stefan Gilmore, and you have that huge play on special teams by Grover Stewart. So one of the things I loved about it is we were busy. We had a lot to say. <laughs> we had a lot to talk about. It was not the worst game I've ever seen from a standpoint of it being a bad game. 2019, season opener, Chicago Bears versus Green Bay Packers at Soldier Field. There were 467 yards of offense and 13 total points. 2022 Colts versus Broncos, 681 yards of total offense, 21 points. That was a barn burner (laughs) compared to that game in 2019. So I'm sitting there watching it, and that popped into my head. Is this the worst game I've ever seen? And then I remembered, nope, not even close, because this game was close. the, The Colts' defense did a tremendous job keeping them in this game. If you were a defense aficionado, Rick Venturi was loving it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, you, you still had sacks and turnovers, and you had exciting right. plays, you, right. just not a lot of efficiency. You had, you had explosive plays on defense by both teams, you know, yeah. the, the sacks, turnovers, TFLs. Um, you didn't have a ton of those on offense. You the, like, the only one in the game happened because Rodney Thomas II got run over by a referee. Um, he ran over a referee. Uh, Don't give the ref okay. that much credit. All right. It, it was like, you know, I mean, the ref was there. And in his way, whatever it is, um, that was the only like real like wow moment for either team on offense in the game. But like Matt Ryan said, when when you are down by three points and your defense is keeping it close for most of the game, you constantly have that belief that the next play is going to be the one that breaks it. And the Colts maybe didn't have that one singular play, but they had those two drives late where you get big contributions from Alec Pierce, Dion Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, Paris Campbell coming up big, and that's how you go and you win a game. And and then Stephon Gilmore sealing it at the end. That for as rough of an offensive game as it was, I didn't come out of that game feeling like, man, that game was just really boring and and really bad football. Yeah, I mean, listen, was it the prettiest game? It's it's not a game, as they say. It's this is so cliche. This is not a game where you say we wrap up the box score, put it in a time capsule, and save it for twenty years later. It wasn't that type of game. But the Colts won. You know, you if you're a Colts fan, you were certainly engaged. You were on the edge of your seat. It went into overtime, so it was it was exciting as far as that goes. But. If you're not a fan of the Broncos or the Colts and you're watching that game, let's say, in the middle of Iowa, yeah, you probably went to bed early. Here's one thing, though. No, Iowa, one... Iowa loved that game. There were so many punts. What are you talking about? <laughs> Hawkeyes fans are like, this is our jam yeah, here. Let's is, go. Yeah. <laughs> Three yards in a cloud of dust. Uh, one thing, though, is just looking at, I feel like that this is the trend kind of of Thursday night games because you're on such a short week. That's a good point. Guys That's are good banged point. up. You're playing fatigued. It's not like you have a ton of time to game plan and scheme against your opponent. So I almost feel like that you are going to see more games this way 
on these short weeks when you have these Thursday night scenarios, which are really, really difficult for guys. I mean, but. and think about how many guys got hurt during the game on both teams. I'm you know, very obviously, aware. and how much yeah, of that right. is Thursday night? Right? Football. Yeah, you totally. know, Quitty, Naheem, yeah. well, uh, and, Ashton, and Dewey, now with Ryan the amplified Kelly. concussion protocols right. as well, that's yep. you know lending itself. You you think about? I mean, you watch Naheem Hines come up and, and, and stumble, which was a scary moment. But then you hear from Frank Reich that at halftime he was you know trying he was campaigning to try to go back in. You know, different things like that. But, but. I mean, on the Broncos side, like Josie Jewell went out of the game. Um, they had a number of other. Um, Russ was in the tent. Russ was in the tent. Ronald, the tent. Ronald Darby, Darby left the yeah. game. So and they got their left tackle towards ACL. Yeah. Uh, Bowles, oh no, broke his leg. Yeah. Garrett Bowles. Yeah. yeah. So a yeah. lot of injuries for both teams in this game. You really don't like to see that. All right, well, let's move into a part of the podcast. I'm calling this guy's pen or pencil. So you hear all the time people say, hey, write that down in pencil because it's subject to change. Or write it down in pen, put it in Sharpie, permanent marker, because it's not going to change. It's ironclad. This person's coming. He's confirmed. He's RSVP'd. Write it down in pen. So let's take that approach here with this Colts team through five games on the following statements. And, Lair, I'll start with you because we talked about the offense, 21 sacks. That's already more than they allowed in 2018 when they led the NFL and fewest sacks allowed that year with 18. So they, they made a bunch of changes along the offensive line. So the best offensive line going forward for the Colts now is this. Bernard Ryman, left tackle. Quentin Nelson, left guard. Ryan Kelly, center. Will Fries at right guard. Braden Smith at right tackle. Lair, is that pen? Do you write that down in pen, or is that a pencil going into week six? I think everything surrounding this offensive line is in pencil at this very moment. I don't think anything is solidified, and I I like the fact that they are trying different things and working out different combinations. I'm not so convinced that your best option isn't to have Quentin Nelson at left tackle at this point in the season or to have Danny Pinter at at center. I think everything is out there. So I like the fact that they're trying different combinations. It shows that they are – you know, using everything at their disposal, making it work, working with the guys who are there, trying to figure out what is going to put this offense in the best position for success. I say everything's in pencil at this point. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. When we had a chance to hear from Frank Reich on Monday, he said that they, they haven't really talked through what the offensive line will look like this week. But the, the fact that the Colts made those changes on a short week where you're not really practicing, you're having walkthroughs, just shows, again, to Lara's point, that they are trying everything, that they, they've got to get this run game going. I think you see the the interior of Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and Braden Smith as a way to really kickstart the inside zone run game, um, which had a little bit more juice to it. I think uh, on Thursday night it wasn't great. It wasn't to where the Colts certainly want it to be, but that's something that they were able to lean on a lot last year mm-hmm. um, and in years past. This year, that that part of the run game has not been up to their standard. But if you can get that interior combo to where it needs to be, that could kind of help kickstart things when Jonathan Taylor gets back in. So you want to keep seeing those things get tried for sure. Now, one thing I saw a lot of people critical on social media, why on earth on a short week would you try a different offensive line that hasn't played? Didn't practice. Didn't practice. Here's the thing about that argument. Pipe down a little bit. Because it's not the first time that that combination has played together. They've been together for five years. Well, no. Here's the other thing, though. I had a conversation with Matt Pryor, and he said, going back to camp, we tried all sorts of different configurations because inevitably, at any point in the season, whether it's due to availability, injury, just 
performance. You're not going to have those five guys locked into that that position each and every game. So we did all of this in preseason. We did all of this in training camp. So don't think that they, that this coaching staff is so ignorant that they're throwing out a, a combination for the first time that they've never seen before. It's something they've done. It's something they've used. And that's something that Matt Pryor felt very confident in, being that they had tried this knowing it would inevitably be a situation they would face during the regular yeah. season. Well, the biggest issue right now, and Joe Wrights talked about this last night on Colts Roundtable Live, is that the tackles, and you've had a combination of different tackles, both on the right side and the left side, tackles are getting beat on the inside, and then the interior offensive linemen, they're getting pushed off the ball. They're getting pushed off the line of scrimmage, so that is shrinking the pocket both in length and in width for Matt Ryan, and that's why he's got nowhere to go at times with the football. And again, the Colts have allowed... 21 sacks on the season, six sacks on uh, Thursday of last week to the Broncos, trying to get that figured out. All right, let's go to number two. So dating back to last season, the Colts have failed to score at least 20 points in seven straight games. Right now, 13.8 points per game. That's dead last in the NFL. They've only got one rushing touchdown through five games, despite Jonathan Taylor being healthy for four of those games. So, J.J., I'll put it to you this way. The Colts are just going to have to be a team that grinds games out. They're going to have to be a team that hangs their hat on the defense this year. Do you write that statement down in pen or in pencil? Here's why it's pen. Because there are about three teams in the NFL that can say, we are going to do, we're going to win games because of our offense. And those are probably the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Eagles. The scoring is down league-wide. You're seeing a lot of offenses struggle with mm-hmm. this kind of rise of the two high shells where you're taking away explosive plays. Um, I think there are going to be a lot of teams in the NFL this year, and I think this is why also you're seeing so much parity around the league where it's like feels like every single team is either 3-2 and two or 2-3 two and three or 2-2-1. Two, two right, right. Um, Tom Brady said it best. There's a lot of bad football out there, right? Yeah, That's right. That's he was asked about it. I mean, the New York Jets are 3-2, and two, and I mean, that, no offense to the New York Jets, but... You didn't expect them to have a better record than the Cincinnati Bengals at this point of the season. But you're seeing a lot of these games where teams aren't scoring 20 points. I mean, look at that the the Bengals-Ravens game on Sunday night, 19-17, to 17, yeah. where it kind of comes down to one or two things at the end of the game. With the quarterbacks that you with have. The, with Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson yeah. playing in that game. And, you know, DeForest Buckner said, you know, you kind of expected this game against the Broncos to be a grinded-out type of game where you're probably going to need to win in the hardest way possible. I think that's a lot of teams around the NFL. Look at the Jaguars. This is a team that you know looked like world beaters. They go and they lose 13-6 to at home to the Texans last week, a game that comes down to a couple of plays on offense, a Trevor Lawrence interception in the end zone, mm-hmm. um, you know, a couple drops here and there. And I just think that the Colts are in that same class as the majority of the NFL – that is going to need to grind games out on defense, and that's pretty good for where this team is right now when you've got Stephon Gilmore looking like a world beater and a guy who corner quarterbacks should not throw to but continue to do so late in games. Um, I feel okay about where this he team is. He kept testing me, so I had to make him pay. Put that in pencil. The, the that, be- that quote from Stephon Gilmore also, afterward. Oh. I, I love it because like you would expect – a cornerback to say that and be like, he kept testing me, so I had to make him pay. And Stefan's like, 
he kept testing me, so I had to make a day. And it was like perfect for Stefan Gilmore. It was great. It's, it's just like, like your, it's like your mom when she's disappointed in you. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm not mad. Yeah. I'm just disappointed. You kept going after me, so I made you pay. I just I I I respect and and admire Stefan Gilmore so He's much. He's the most soft spoken cornerback, most soft spoken once defensive Star. player of the year Star. I've ever seen. Do not know? conflate soft spoken with a lack of confidence. He's he one was, of the most confident players okay, I've ever talked yesterday to. Yesterday, that I, when I was talking to him, he was talking about how he has no friends on the field and he plays mad. And I go, this is hilarious because you show no signs of that whatsoever. He is completely yeah, you're stoic. A, you're a friendly fella when we talk. <laughs> well, but he's just stoic on the field. Like he's not fiery like you, like a lot of DBs are out there. Like even when uh, Cortland Sutton threw the stiff arm, Stefan just pops right up and walks right off. Like there was like no amount of, and he was talking about how much that fired him up, but never shows it. It's amazing. It's like, but I think DeForest Buckner has a similar type of persona to to DeForest, or to Stefan. Real, real quick on Stefan Gilmore, just to get this out here. So since 1994 in the NFL, there have only been two plays that have resulted in an interception where the team throwing the interception has been leading by one score there's fewer than three minutes to go in the game, and the ball is in the red zone. So essentially, plays where you know you, you're probably running something safe, you're you're running the ball. Um, Stephon Gilmore has one of them coming Thursday night against the Broncos. So basically, what Stephon Gilmore did is in an unbelievably rare occurrence in the last almost 30 years of the NFL. Um, I want that guy on my side when you're going to play grinded out games. And you need to win games. I mean, Stephon Gilmore literally has clinched two games mm-hmm. with his hands and his play this year. So I, I feel okay about where the Colts are, and that's why I'm putting that in pen. I agree with you, JJ. I would put it in, I think, five games is a large enough sample size to figure out kind of where we are and how this season is is going and, and what is trending. And here's the thing about the offense. Even if the offense is only going to put up less than what, – what are they averaging now? What did I say? 13.8. 13.8. So if you're going to score routinely under 20 points per game and have a great defense like the Colts do, I still think you can find ways to win games if you grind it out because the Colts have been a good fourth-quarter team on both sides of the ball. But what needs to be cleaned up are the turnovers. Even if the Colts only score, you know, 17 a game, let's say, if they don't turn the ball over, they would probably be right now what? They'd have four wins, three wins, at least at least three wins. This, this defense is hard to go the length of the field on. So if you look at the defensive numbers this year, the Colts are giving up 18 points per game after five games, which is really good. That's 10th best in the NFL. But the Colts are tied for last in the NFL in turnover margin or turnover differential at minus six. If the Colts just stop turning the ball over on offense and putting the defense into bad situations with the the opposition getting short fields, this would be a better football team statistically on defense. And again, they'd probably have one or two more wins through five games. So right now the Colts defense has given up 46 points off of turnovers this year. That is by far the most in the NFL, and that's not an indictment on the defense. It's an indictment on the offense for putting the defense in those bad spots. 48% of the points that the Colts have allowed this year have come off of turnovers. So if the offense stops turning, even if the offense doesn't move the ball, if they just punt it, 
that'll help the defense, and that should help the Colts grind these games out even more uh, to the point where, you know, again, they'd have three wins, four wins heading into week six. All right, so that's a good look at the offense. Let's talk about special teams. Chase McLaughlin, money, last Thursday, four for four, made from 48, 51, and 52. Larry, he's now 11 for 13 from 50 or longer in his career. He's only missed one field goal or one kick at all since week two when the Colts added him to replace Rodrigo Blankenship. So McLaughlin, Lara, has answered the Colts' questions at kicker. That statement, is it written in pen or in pencil? Screw the pen, screw the pencil, sharpie that in. <laughs> I yeah. like it. I, I, that's I like how it. confident I am in Chase McLaughlin and how everyone, how confident everyone should be in Chase McLaughlin. Look at this special teams group from August to October. You lose Rigo Sanchez, you bring in Matt Hawk, then after week one, you cut Rodrigo, uh, uh, Rodrigo, Rodrigo Blankenship. Yeah. Thank you. Gosh, the Rigo, the Rigo Rodrigo yes. will always live in my brain. So you you cut Blankenship. You bring in McLaughlin, who you have familiarity with from 2019. But like the guy, I mean, Luke Rhodes is the guy holding it all together there for special teams in terms of you know that that field goal and, and kickoff operation, uh, or sorry, field goal and um, uh, extra point operation. Excuse me. And so. Yeah, I think that he is your guy. I, I think that there have been questions looming at that position for a long time, mm-hmm. and I think that Chase has certainly secured any doubts, any questions, any you know looming issues that there have been, and he deserves it. I mean, it wasn't just that he made those kicks; he made them like right down the middle yeah. in Denver, Clutch and that's too. something Clutch. that's something Frank Reich uh, mentioned. Yeah. When your head coach is mentioning that. Your head coach got some confidence in you, and I, I agree with Lara. Let's put this one in Sharpie because if Frank Reich is going to trust Chase McLaughlin to come through in those situations where the Colts need long field goals while their offense is, is still getting some things together and figuring out some solutions, I'm going to trust this guy too. And and what he did Thursday night in Denver in that in those situations, um, it doesn't matter where you know that you're you know mile above sea level and the ball maybe flies a little bit farther again to go back to it the accuracy of those kicks yeah. was tremendous and he'd never and kicked in denver before correct wow correct didn't yep. look like it yep. never kicked in denver yeah I, I trust him yep yeah to put it in perspective you know rodrigo blankenship was just two of seven on kicks from 48 yards or longer in his entire time in indianapolis and chase has been knocking him down from that distance uh, with uh, consistency. All right, let's go back to the defense. One final one. We know about the defense. We talked about it. The the Broncos, you know, they didn't score a touchdown on any of their four red zone drives. They had just two for 15 uh, on third down last Thursday. The Colts are the only team, Lara, that has not allowed a point in the fourth quarter or overtime of a game all season. I had to come and confirm this yesterday because I heard you say it, and I was like, did I hear that correctly? Not that I was doubting you. I was just making sure I remembered (laughs) it correctly. I know you're always right. Sometimes I just, yeah. No, it's just that down there on the field sometimes I have so many thoughts that are, like, swimming around in there. I mean, especially Thursday night, there was a horse on the field that they run out. (laughs) I was trying not to get trampled. You You also did. You didn't get run over by one of those parachuters. (laughs) Oh, my God. I cannot cannot say the same for the last time we played in Denver because the guy – lost control he was completely (laughs) he lost momentum he was out of control and I'm on the sidelines minding my own business and he comes right after me and we embrace (laughs) I slow him down with a big bear hug and I'm just glad I didn't make sports center I don't think we toppled over (laughs) the 
But he definitely does, ran right at That does right not surprise me because those guys were, were less they were parachuting into the stadium they and they were just hot. falling out of an airplane <laughs> into the stadium. <laughs> yes, the velocity of their descension, if that's the right scientific term, was, was very, very high. Um, as you said, Lara, uh, plus 27 margin for the Colts in the fourth quarter. Number two in the NFL. The Colts have allowed opponents to just two for 21 third down attempts in the fourth quarter or overtime. Pretty, pretty good defense, especially in the second half. J.J., here's the statement. If the Colts can get a lead at halftime, which they have been unable to do so far through five games, they've trailed at halftime of every game so far this year. But if they can get a lead at halftime, the game is over. Is that a pen or pencil statement? It's pencil until the offense fixes the turnover issues. Kind of like I was saying earlier about the the. Colts' ability to prevent long touchdown drives. They're really good at that. You know, this is a hard defense to drive the length of the field that, that, on. That's my point on the turnovers. Right. But y- you give them 32, 34 yards, it's yeah. much easier for an offense to get in the end zone, and that's what we've consistently seen right. over over the course of the season. I mean, the Colts, when the Broncos had to drive the length of the field, Denver, they weren't getting in the end zone. And, you know, the same with the Titans in week four. The, the Titans struggled to drive the length of the field. But I'm going to say pencil until we can say, all right, the offense has cut down on the turnovers significantly um, because that still will play a part in it. But I, I, I'll add another addendum to this. I would write it in pen if they can get a two-score lead at halftime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he is, he is <laughs> you got a lot of writing utensils, you guys. Does anybody have a highlighter? <laughs> he's, got, he's got watercolors over uh, here. Crayons, <laughs> chalk. Some colored pencils. I love it's it. It's like Bob Ross over here. Oh, he's great. I need, I need the afro. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm going to put this one in pen, Mate, because yep. when I told Stefan Gilmore in our interview yesterday that this defense has not allowed – points in the fourth quarter or overtime all season after I confirmed it with you because you know I'm in- incapable of retaining any information on my own I just have to come to the the bank of knowledge doors back always here. open bank of knowledge back here Stefan goes really like it was a so he didn't even realize it. it was great and he goes well that just means we need to play better defense in the first half and not allow any points in four quarters right. like so I, I love well, that that is the point I, I love the fact that this defense takes it on as saying well, we've got to come out, come out with that ferocity we play with in the second half and do it in the first half. And he said that that's where we've got to get better. He feels like that they've played really well, and they have. They've played particularly well late. But he says there's no reason that we can't do that in all four quarters of the game, all 60 minutes. So not only is this on the, the uh, offense to start scoring earlier, to take better care of the ball, it's also on the defense to step up earlier in games and right. be able to start games and, and play a complete game as well as they've been able to close them out. Yeah, they've been a great adjusting team at halftime. I mean, they've only allowed one touchdown in the second half all season, and that was back in week one against the Texans. Now I'm standing up because now I'm fired up too, so I've had a lot of coffee. Oh. But the other thing that I want to see more stands, of... yeah, you, just, you sit down. That's right. Because you know it's coming. The other thing I want more of from this defense, we need more takeaways. That's one area if you can We well, need say, the lead. It, yeah. It, well, it, gotta have the lead. You gotta have a lead. I just, this, that's where this defense, for all the great things that they've done, we've been so spoiled in seasons past with how well they've done, how productive they've been in taking the ball away. And we haven't really seen that as much yet. One reason for it, the lack of Shaquille Leonard. Yep. You know, you don't have the punch out. He is the takeaway machine. So whenever he does get back, that's certainly a factor where I think in the latter part of this season, I hope to see more production. Yeah, the, the Colts defense has played, has, has started a series on the field with the lead in hand on the scoreboard twice. All season, and those have probably been what three 
there's been one seven point lead against Kansas City. One in Houston when and one in Houston they were they're up three to zero. Yeah. yeah. Again, I, I, and those are early, those are in the first quarter. It doesn't yeah. impact how the defense can play. You know, maybe, maybe on the bye week or maybe it's an off season project. Go back and do a league wide study on the amount of takeaways that that occur on defense when a team mm-hmm. is leading, especially by two scores versus when they trail on the scoreboard. Because I think there's a direct correlation there. But or for the Colts, when you have Shaq Leonard on the field, when right, you don't right. have Shaq yeah. Leonard yeah. on the also, field. Also, yes. Eight forced fumbles last year, four picks. It's been well chronicled. Are you guys ready for some, uh, easy for me to say, some superlatives? Yes, I am. You guys ready? Here we go. So the Colts are five games in, thus about a quarter into the season. Who are your award winners in these following superlative areas? JJ, I need your top rookie. Alec Pierce. Five games. Yeah. Okay. It's Alec Pierce. You could you could make a case that Rodney Thomas is second. That's, my, that's mine, because I figured you would go Pierce, yeah. so I'm going, right. I'm going so the you, counter. You make the case I've for Rodney, Rodney Thomas, Thomas second. I've got Rodney Thomas. I've got it in here, yes. Alec Pierce doesn't look like just a nice compliment to Michael Pittman Jr. He looks like a legitimate weapon who Matt Ryan trusts late in games to get open. And I talked with Alec a little bit about this last week, about the depth, timing, and accuracy uh, kind of mantra that Matt Ryan has where you got to get your depth right, you got to get your timing right, right, and then I will be accurate as a quarterback, and we're seeing that with Matt Ryan and Alec Pierce, that relationship really growing. And Alec doing some things, you know, in terms of his route tree that he wasn't always doing in college. You're seeing really tremendous growth for him as a wide receiver, as a route runner. Um, I think Reggie Wayne has had a lot to do with that. I, You know, I talked with Alec a little bit about that on Monday and just some of the nuances that he's picked up from Reggie. Um Alec, Alec looks like he is in store for a really big season. He's the first Colts rookie wide receiver to have eight or more receptions in a game since Austin Colley in 2009. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll break our uh, friend Bill Brooks's record of nine receptions in a game as a rookie for a wide receiver. We'll see. Um, Rodney Thomas gets my vote because, of Love course, it. Alec Pierce comes in. He's a second-round pick. This is a guy who had a ton of attention, You know, uh, was – you know, tons of accolades coming out of Cincinnati. I think you, as impressive as he's been, that's what you expected him to do. Give me a seventh round guy out of Yale who basically played everywhere in the secondary, didn't even have like a solidified position at safety. He was doing yeah. everything on that defense to then step into the situation, not expecting to start. Alec Pierce knew he was starting this season. Mm-hmm. Rodney Thomas steps in to fill the shoes. It was of all Julian about Blackman. Nick Cross, it, right? Yeah, it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and still will be. I think Nick Cross is going to be a huge component sure. of this defense for a long, long time. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you talked about Nick Cross. I mean, that group, I mean, you have the the retirement of Corey Willis. You start the season with Cross, and then you have McLeod coming in and playing compliment to Blackman. Blackman goes out. You have Thomas stepping in. I mean, what Ron Milas has done with that group, yeah. I mean, should be so well recognized. I mean, hats off to Milo and to Mike Mitchell for what they've done. Rodney Thomas, to me, it's not just how he's played. It's the situations and the times that he has stepped up to make huge plays. And, you know, he had the one ball that he he batted and broke up the pass, and he's like, no, I've got to come up with that. Yeah. i got to get the pick. That would have been a pick six. I should have had that, taken it all the way to the end zone. I mean, he is one of those guys who has very high expectations for himself, and I love how he has thrived when the stakes have been at their highest. He has been a guy who, you know, as much of a contributor in late games as Stephon Gilmore has been, you can put Rodney Thomas up there as almost equally right. impactful. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I've got I've got Rodney Thomas as my top rookie, and I had Alec Pierce as my breakout player. That's the next category. Pierce has oh, 15 catches, this. 
222 yards in the last three games. He's got great leaping ability. He's got good physicality. He's not just like a a one-trick pony where he's running a go-route on the far sideline. He's much more than that. He's smart. He can read defenses. He can contort his body. He's a possession guy, as we saw in the last uh, possession of regulation. You know, big catches on third down, moving the sticks. You know, crucial, crucial catches there in the late stages of the game. Lara, who's your breakout player? Zaire's Franklin. No question about this one in my mind. He is tied for leading the league in total tackles at this point in the season. Mm -hmm. 54 tackles on this season. In in, in that regard, you talked about the takeaways, and and, and definitely Shaquille Leonard is in a class of his own as far as that goes. But in in terms of stopping the run and being – you know, the, the lifeblood of the defense, Zaire Franklin's filled in perfectly. I mean, he signed the contract, you know, got got a new contract in the offseason, is named a captain on, on special teams. The contributor that this guy is, not just on the field, but in terms of being a leader in the locker room, a voice on the sidelines, he deserves a huge amount of credit for this defense playing the way that they have so far this season. And you love to see it because Zaire has been somewhat overshadowed among his own position group because for so long, you know, you had Anthony Walker Jr. And of course, Shaq Leonard and Bobby O'Karake, who has played at such a high level. And then you have other areas of the defense that have gotten a lot of the attention because of, you know, your defensive front with DeForest Buckner and Quiddy Pay and Unique Ngakwe, Grover Stewart, and then the secondary. It was almost, you know, he's been somewhat underappreciated or very underappreciated. And now it is so good to see him coming up, playing the way that he is and just continuing to ascend when this defense needed him most. Zaire's still playing on special teams, too. He played 88 snaps, a new career high against the Broncos on Sunday, on uh, Thursday, excuse me, between off between defense and special teams. And the, the leadership aspect of it that Lara mentioned, that to me sets him over the top here. He's always been a great leader. Now he's a great player. And you, you love when your best leaders are your best players. And right now that's Zaire Franklin on this team. Absolutely. All right, well done. I think we're in agreement as far as that goes. Last one, team MVP through five games. For me, I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, but for me, it's Stephon Gilmore. Yep, that's Gilly who it is. lock. Yep. Gilly is a lock in every sense. He's, He's a lock literally, team MVP. Literally, He's a lock in end of games. Right. He's literally won the Colts two games. How could it be anyone else? Right. I mean, without him, the Colts might be 1-3-1. and one, And the ability to say, you're going to shut down the other team's best receiver like he did in Cortland Sutton the other night. That's been so huge. So thank goodness for Stephon Gilmore. The pass breakup, which led to the pick by Rodney McLeod against the Chiefs to seal that win. The two pass breakups uh, against uh, Denver on Thursday. The pick in the end zone to keep the Colts alive, like you alluded to, J.J. It's got to be Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, no okay. question. The He has been as advertised and more since coming over here no doubt uh, about free it. agency. No doubt about it. And he's also helping the offensive guys, too. You brought up Alec Pierce and, you know, that, <laughs> Alec, the way Alec, that happened in training camp, right? Alec told me after the game on Thursday, he's like, yeah, it kind of makes you feel a little better when you see Gilmore <laughs> doing to <laughs> opponents what he did to you in training camp right. a little bit. <laughs> no doubt about it. All right, so I think we're in agreement as far as that goes, too. So good job right there on the superlatives. Through five games for the Colts. Time now for the mailbag. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to will. JJ, what we come up with Our here? question this week comes from the beautiful country of Panama from Augustine Panama. Ramirez. 
at Augustin LRB on Twitter. Shout Hi there. out our international Colts fans. I love it. I love international. He's never going to listen again because you're... David Lee Roth. That's pretty yeah. good. That's pretty good. It's Van Hi. Halen. It is Van Halen. I'll acknowledge that. Hi there, Lara, JJ, and Matt. Colts fan from Panama. Have you seen anything positive during the days following the TNF game that can encourage fans to expect a better performance in the critical game against the Jags this Sunday? Thanks and keep up the great work you do. Hashtag for the shoe. So two things here. One, just hearing hearing Frank Reich talk about the, you know, sort of the refreshed nature that this team has. I, I always think that this, you know, whether it's the actual bye week or the mini bye after Thursday night, whatever comes first. It's always a really good opportunity to kind of reset some things as a team and figure out some certain things about your identity as the season goes on. Last year, after the mini-bye, the Colts really leaned into their run game. Um, that was right, you know, they they went out, they stomped Buffalo, um, and then, you know, went out to go beat Houston and then kind of really took off with their run game later in the season. Um, this year, I think this is a really good time for the offense to kind of reset again figure out some solutions, whether it's on the offensive line, whether it's with the turnovers, whether it's with avoiding those second and third and longs Mm -hmm. that have kind of plagued this offense. The other part of it is, I mean, the the Jaguars, again, I I talked about it, but they lost 13-6 to to the Texans at home, made a lot of self-inflicted mistakes. Yeah, you want to talk about ugly football games. Yeah, Yeah. I think that game might have been uglier than than ours. Um, They're still a young team that's learning how to win week in and week out in the NFL, and I think – the way they kind of came out of the gates really hot, really strong, beating the Colts and Chargers by 24 and 28 points woke a lot of people up to them. But um, I, I think they're they're still they still have a little ways to go, and I think this weekend was a bit of a reminder of that. That has nothing to do with the Colts, but that just gives me a little bit more confidence that they, the the Jags might have some variance week to week right. that maybe the Colts can exploit on Sunday. Yeah, and, and that's this league too. I mean. We, we thought in, in week two and three, all oh, the Jaguars are for real. Well, they still got a little bit of a learning curve there. I mean, Trevor Lawrence has come back to reality a little bit. I think the biggest positive from Thursday and maybe the first five games is just the resiliency of this team, their ability to fight back. I mean, the game is never over for them or on them. I mean, you had the, the huge pick on defense to get the ball back to the offense with under four minutes to go. Um, you had the comeback against uh, the Texans in week one the comeback against the Chiefs in week three. So this team is never out of it. I think that's a good characteristic to have. So that, that to me, is the biggest positive from Thursday going forward is that this team will fight, and they've been a good second-half, fourth-quarter team. That's one thing that I've talked to a number of guys about. A number of the vet guys who have come in and, and been additions to this team is the importance of learning how to win in different ways. And we're, yeah. we're seeing this team that has relied heavily on the defense, so you figured that aspect out. Now as you get into this second quarter of the season you started out with that win on Thursday night you go into a bye week now you have two critical division games going in and this is a team that knows the stakes that are there knows that everything that they're going after is still ahead of them because of how much parity there is in the division all right it's time to get random Maytay's random thought of the week. And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. You guys going out of town? You know if it's cold there? Do these vans get good gas mileage? Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! So the, the Colts play the Jaguars on Sunday. And we know about this game, right? The motivation. The Colts have 
lost to the Jaguars in the last two head-to-head meetings by a combined score of 50-11. to That's not my point. The point is the Jaguars come in. I think they have, especially when they play on the road, I think they've got some of the worst uniforms in the Confirmed. NFL. That's factual. Because they're black, yeah. teal, kind of yellowish. So I think they've got a bad color combination. I think the the Dolphins have a bad color combination. The Cleveland Browns. The Browns. Yeah. The Titans used to, but then they've got they've they've shifted more towards the navy blue instead of that Carolina blue. Uh, but here's here's what I want to know, guys. Who has the best uniforms? In the NFL. I'm going to sound like a homer, but it's the Colts all-whites. All-whites, okay. The all-whites are the, the – those are probably my favorite uniform in football. Like clean? Look, They're just uh, very crisp. clean. The shoulder stripes, yeah. they pop when you you know, you know get our, our great photographer, Matt Bowen, getting them on a night game. Um, the, those are – those are my number one for me. There, there's no, there are no frills to them. They just look great. Yeah, timeless since the '50s, right? Yeah, it really hasn't changed much since then. Uh, Chargers baby blue throwbacks. Oh, yeah, those are great. Ooh. It's a great call. With the numbers on the sides. The modern. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's what I. Those are so cool. The baby blue with the yellow and the the white. Yeah. I'm a big fan of contrast. I'm a big fan of difference on the uniform versus the pants. I think the red on the white when the Chiefs are on the road. I think those are awesome. I think the Chiefs have a great uniform. Same thing with the Packers. Packers at home with yeah. the green on the yellow and you know the trim. I think the Bears, JJ, have a good uniform, good logo, good well, helmet. They don't wear orange. Yeah, don't wear orange. Yeah. Nobody should wear orange, yeah. The the Broncos didn't look good in, in orange. I don't think back in the day Tampa Bay looked good in the cream sickles. Um, I also like the old Giants uniforms that they brought back this year. Mm-hmm. You know the the blue uniforms and the and the the red trim on the helmets with Giants and script on the side of their helmets. I think the Ravens uniforms are blue. Yeah, the purple, the purple, purple and, and black. Yeah. Um, it's so not a good logo timely, either. In my opinion. because the Patriots went back to the Pat Patriot throwbacks. Yeah, I this like last those weekend. too. And those are pretty cool. I like uh, those I, you know, too. I'm not going to give New England a lot of props on many things, but the old Pat Patriot is pretty good. The other thing that I like is the old school, like Philadelphia Eagles, where it's like the the green, like the Kelly green with yeah. the eagle, like the actual the Randall Cunningham eagle. uniforms. The yeah, Randall Cunningham. yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. By the way, Randall Cunningham's daughter Vashti Cunningham is one of the best high jumpers in the world. So yes, so. Just a track, that's great. Track and field what a great track. And he factoid. coaches her. Lara Overton. Oh, that's great. Lara Overton. She's going to inform and entertain <laughs> on the podcast, as always. I think the Bengals have a great look, too. I, I'm a sucker those for the Bengals. Those all white Bengals. The frosty yeah. whites were. See, I, I didn't like those. Oh. I like their normal, just the Bengal tiger helmet. I think that's timeless. It's classic. It's a great helmet. Yep. All right, guys, what are you, uh, what are you guys doing later this week? G- give us the content. JJ Hype Up. Uh, articles and uh, things you got coming down the pipe here later this week going into week six. I still have to figure that out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, It'll be good, though. Yeah. A uh, lot of story. I got a lot of injuries this week for the Colts. There are a lot of things to get to this week on Colts.com. Um, still have to figure out exactly what I'm going to dive into this week, though, but you can find out by checking back on Colts.com and the Colts He's app. on the Daily Beat. I don't know what it's going to be, but something's going to be up there on Colts.com. Lara, hype up the TV show and videos yeah, this week. Yeah, Colts 360 this week. Thank you so much, Mayte. We have Stefan Gilmore in studio and Coach Reich, as we do have every week. And then also Monday was World Mental Health Day, so we're going to take a look back at the first ever Kicking the Stigma event beyond the sidelines. $1.6 million raised. We hear from Andy Grammer, Kay Adams, a number of different Colts, and nice. we hear from Colts owner Jim Ursay and Kaylin Jackson as well in terms of 
all that has been accomplished so far with kicking the stigma and then the work that is yet to be done and right. how much work there is to be done. And then uh, we have our first director's cut of this season Ooh. coming up. What, what are we doing? Yeah, we have, uh, yeah, I mean, no surprise. It's the team MVP to this point. Uh-huh. It'll be Stefan mm-hmm. Gilmore mm-hmm. breaking down his interception and then that game-clinching play Beautiful. to win it on Thursday Night and, Football. And the, so the TV, show, TV show airs. Give us, give us that for those is that don't on, know. It is on. Saturday night and Sunday morning. So Saturday night at 1130, Sunday morning at 830 and 9. CBS 4 and Fox 59 are broadcast partners. By the way, way, speaking of something that Lara worked on that we didn't mention, if you haven't watched the Chuck Strong Colts Declassified that Lara and Matt Wilkening put together, go watch it. It's so good. The storytelling is incredible. There's a lot of things that... You know, I, I'm sure Colts fans didn't know about that game. So go to Colts.com, go to yeah, video. Agree more. You can go find it yeah. there. Thank it's you guys a great so much. piece. It was, it was a privilege to work on and yeah. cannot say how much I, I really appreciate Can't believe that was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. And to be trusted to tell that story, especially with as, as meaningful, as powerful and impactful as not only that game, but that period of time was for so many and to get to catch up with Andrew about it and mm-hmm. Chuck and Bruce. And, you know, we see Reggie all the time, but it was really fun to relive that game through his eyes as yeah. well. I remember being called. I mean, the entire staff got called into the pavilion for that news, and it was just a, it was a bomb. It was a Monday morning after a tough loss going into that Packers game, as you chronicled, Lara. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that. But that is, uh, that's a story for a different podcast here. That's JJ and Lara, the content creators. Lara Overton on uh, Colts 360, as she said, that airs on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. Plenty of uh, audio content, as always. Colts Roundtable Live was last night. Colts Daily Updates Tuesday through Thursday. Inside Football with Rick Venturi. That'll drop tomorrow, Wednesday. Know Your Foe, Demetrius Harvey from the Florida Times Union uh, will give us, uh, uh, get us, I should say, up to speed on the Colts and Jaguars. And then Friday, Colts Happy Hour with JMV, 93.5 and 107.5. The fans, Sunday night's instant reaction from the Jaguars game with JJ and Bill Brooks. Guys, have a great rest of the week. Appreciate the time. Good job tonight, or today, I should say, on the podcast. It was fun. You too. Yeah. Good Absolutely. Pod, for Lara, JJ, I'm Matt Taylor. Thanks for listening, and be sure to like and subscribe if you haven't already, and we will talk to you next Tuesday following week six Colts and Jags here on the official Colts podcast on the Colts Audio Network. So long. Have a good week.